I start, I want to apologize because uh, somebody pointed out that, you know, they checked the Shkuna tone to see what time the shir is coming so they know 15 minutes later it's going to start. I'm afraid we're a little early this week. I apologize. So I left that off the tape. Anyway. <laughs> well, we are well in to uh, the process of Geula Baruch Hashem. I have to tell you that for me personally, Shmos is such a um, let's try that again. <laughs> Good luck. We, uh, we are well into the story of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. And for me, I've always looked at Parsha Shmos as a somewhat difficult Parsha. It starts with the Jews sinking down lower, and it ends with the Jews being oppressed even worse than before. And that is the end. The end is Moshe and Aaron finally, with Hashem's uh, instruction, comes into Mo- Paro and says, let my people go. And Paro says, I got a better idea. How about I don't give them any more straw? Now let's make them spread out across the face of Egypt and cut their own straw and make the same bricks. And they know that we've beaten for every brick that they miss. And they come out and say to Moshe and Aaron, thanks for nothing. Now you really made things worse. And Moshe says to Hashem, why'd you send me? What a depressing ending. What a terrible way to end. It's so sad. And, um, and comes this week, and the whole, it's like, it's like the, the clouds start to break and the sun starts to shine. And it doesn't happen right away, but it happens we move along the story pretty quickly. And Hashem says, oh, I miss Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. They, they really trusted in me, Moshe. I don't know. I don't know, Moshe. Just because you see things getting worse and terrible suffering and B'nai Yisrael complaining, etc. All of a sudden, now you're upset. You know, hang in there. Now, what that's all about, obviously, the Mepharshim discuss it tremendous length. Of course, Moshe didn't have any, any questions of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. It was his own personal role in the process that he was concerned about. But, um, but it moves it along. Now, it ends, and we spoke about this some years ago when we talked about the difference between um, hardening Paro's heart and strengthening Paro's heart. Um, we, uh, we talked about this, and the end of it ends with Paro coming in and saying, like, that's it, it's over, I give up. You know, uncle, take him away. Uh, I, I'm, I'm the Russia. Hashem and you are the Tzaddik. Forgive me, take a, go ahead, that's the end. So that's more or less the end of the story. And even though we know there are three more plagues to go, etc., next week is Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and the whole process is finished, and we come to the dramatic conclusion. And this week is a transition. And so no sooner does it get started that the tone changes dramatically. And it's one of my personal favorite moments in the Torah. Right? Where Kodesh Baruch Hu says... I remember. And now, now it begins. This is Vav Vav. I am Hashem. 
Uh, I am Hashem. I will take them out from under the burdens of Egypt and I will save them from the avoda, and I will redeem them with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And I will take them to me as a nation. And I will be for them a God. And they will know that I am God who took them out from under the burdens of Egypt. And I will bring them into the land which I promised to give. And I'll give it to them as an inheritance. Can't get much better than that. That's it. To paraphrase uh, the thing in the Fantastic Four, it's clobbering time. I, I, I normally don't quote uh, non-Jewish sources, but it came out later that, that Ben Grimm is in fact Jewish. I thought this was one of the most important revelations that had come out, uh, and, um, and so therefore he's actually Jewish. Never, he has to find his way back. But In any event, it's clobbering time, that's it. Now the action's going to start. For all you've done, this plague's for you. You understand? Boom! And, the, and, and it happens in rapid succession, so quickly. Maka, 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 boom, 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 boom. You're not dragging out this process. Here's one marker, here's another marker, here's another marker. Boom. Until Paro's screwed oh, on enough already. Comes next week, Paro's just out of control. He's just a maniac. They come in and say, okay, we got another plague for you. You're going to come to the arbor and eat up all your food. And, the, and his advisors say, get these people out of here. Enough already, but Pyro is so out of control at this point that he's not even thinking rationally. We spoke about that years ago as well. But, but uh, that's, that's almost anticlimactic. And this week's Pyro, suddenly the process begins and boy, does it go fast. As the Chazal tell us, Bnei Yisrael coming out of Mitzrayim was a leda. We were like an uba b'me'imai. We were like a baby. And this is the birth process. And those of you who are married and have uh, been with your wife during the birth process, it starts really slowly. And then things really pick up dramatically. You know? And boom, 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 boom. And next thing you know, boom, there's the baby. You know? Sometimes. In any event, but that's the that's concept anyway. You know? Goy me care of goy. Make your by and pulling out. Because Baruch is going to deliver the baby and we're going fast now. Right? So uh, that's what happens here. The whole change. You know, and there's something so pesadic about this parasha. You know, it's the whole Haggad, it's the whole Esamakos, it's the whole theme, etc. And, um, and for this year, I decided to uh, do something that is untraditional for myself, which is to take a topic um, that has been worked on tremendously by all of the Mepharshim, Rishonim, Achronim, Chazal. And that is, of course, the parsha that I just read to you, which is the parsha of the Daud Lashonos. It's almost impossible to decide where to even go. There is so much material on this. I'm used to wandering alone in the wilderness with not even a compass and a pack of matches to be able to save me. And uh, I could just say whatever I want. No one can really say I'm wrong because there's nobody who disagrees or agrees. It's a total, total empty territory. But here there's so much. You just, there's such a wealth of information. Where do you start? But these Darul Shonos of Geula, yeah? 
I will take them out. Save them from the avoda. And I will redeem them. Those three go in one pasuk. So we know that those three are different than the next one. And I will take them to me as a nation. And I will be for them a god. And they will know that I am God and took them out of Egypt. That's the fourth one. I take them to me as a people. And that's referring to Mamad Har Sinai, where we're going to get the Torah. And they will know. They will know. And if they have any doubt, I will start the process by saying, Let me make it very clear. This is me. Right? So the first three have to do with taking us out of Mitzrayim, and the fourth one has to do with giving us the Torah. Right? And uh, and that's the way it goes. This is what Dal has shown us. It's interesting, one of my kids asked me, why is it Belashen Ova Hotsei Hitzalti Go'alti? Now, of course, we all know it's not. Right? Referring to the future, it's not I saved you and I took you out. Because when you put a vav at the beginning of the word, so then if the word is put in past tense, when you put the vav at the beginning, it switches it around and makes it into future tense. Right? You switch it around. That's what the little vav does. It takes the ovar and switches it around. So um, evidently she had forgotten this particular rule. Right? Diktuk being one of my high points. Baruch Hashem, my wife answered before I even had a chance to say anything. Otherwise, of course, I would have immediately accessed that important rule. And um, and uh, so, being an Orlowski, she didn't miss a beat. And she said, but why did a Kodesh Baruch Hu choose to write it in that form? Ki'ilu, that was my real question. That, of course I knew that. Every kid knows that rule of dictum. Understand? My real question was, why did the Kodesh Baruch Hu write? Right? Um, uh, uh, the egg, the egal, the itzil, the you know, the etzel, whatever it is, right? Whatever, who knows? It's in Hebrew. Anyway, <laughs> those long dictated rashi's that you love those. Anyway, it's always it's a, it's a, it's a simple, you know, it's a tofal mufal. This way, except when there's a yud on alternate Tuesdays, in which case it goes. This way, right? <laughs> So why did he do that way? Why did he write it, so to speak, in Lushan Ovar, and then add the Vav to switch it around? Right? Not being at a loss. Right. The answer, of course, was obvious, and that is, that's Pshad in Geula. Geula is always a switch. Right? The yoga in the Simcha. Right? They, uh, you, know, uh, you know, from, from, from um, Shibud le Geula. There has to, there always has to be a switch. The four lashonas of Geulu Adavka written in that way. That's a, it's mahapech and switching it around to the way it's supposed to be. That's what Geulu is. Gullus means that something is not where it's supposed to be. Geulu means it is returned to its proper place. So of course the four lashonas are one that appears to be going in one direction and in fact is switched around. That's the whole concept of Geulu. Gullus is innately a state that is incorrect and improper. It's not supposed to be. 
It means things are twisted around. It means things are not where they belong. Right? Everything, everything is seen improperly until you have to switch it back so that it goes where it's supposed to be. We talked about this years and years and years ago when we were talking about spheres of Omer. Right? There are 49 levels of Kedusha, 49 levels of Tumah. Right? So what does that mean? You know, it means that you work yourself up until you're nothing. And then you keep going. Right? You, know, you, work up, you work your way up from the 49th level of Tumah, then you hit zero, and then you keep going. Just the opposite. There are 49 aspects. Each one of them can be good or bad. You have to be mahapech it. You have to turn it from the Tumah to the Kedusha. It's not shot that there's 49 negative, 49 positive. It's 49. The question is how you turn it, how you use it, how you apply it. So that's how these Lashonis go in. But the question is, why are there four? Why are there four? There's many, 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 many approaches. I'll take a standard one that works very much on shot, right? There was an Inuit that was suffering, and they had to be taken out from the suffering. And then there was a slavery after that. They had to be taken out from the slavery. And then they had to take them out of Mitzrayim, Right? Even if they weren't slaves, they weren't allowed to leave. And once you take a look at how the Shebud worked going backwards, first they all come down to Mitzrayim. And once they come down to Mitzrayim, the door shuts. They're not slaves, but they can't leave. And Yosef goes to Pyro and he says, my father made me swear that I would bury him. He says, okay, if he made you swear, then I guess we have to keep that oath. Don't worry, I'll go with you. And we'll all go with you except for the children and the animals. Leave them here. But you guys go and we'll come with you. We also want to pay our last respects. And then accompany you on the journey back. I wouldn't want you to stay there in Israel once you got there. You understand? So, uh, so the door is already shut. That was the first one. Then comes the next stage, which is the slavery. And then comes the next stage, which is the oppression. So as such, there are three Lashonas of Geula. First, we have to stop the oppression, then we have to stop the slavery, and then we have to take them out. Right? And so there, those are three, three levels that are taking place. And then after that, after those three levels are completed, then I have to bring you to Israel, which is obviously part and parcel of the Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Right? That famous Ramban that we've quoted on more than one occasion, that Sirius uh, Omer is like one long Cholomoid from Pesach to Shavuos. It's a whole process that concludes with the giving of the Torah, but it's part of it, it's part of the whole process. <coughs> and so that's a simple one. The Balaturim brings down Arba Lashono Shugaula Kineged Arba Malchios. It's a Chazal actually. Right? The four Lashonas of Geula correspond to the four Malchios, the four kingdoms that will oppress the Jewish people, as is listed in the Pasik in Rashis. And uh, so is Babel, and Bo is Paras, and Choshech is Yavan, and the Tahom is Edom. These are the four Malchios, and the four Lashonas of Geula Hashem is telling us is that I'm going to save you from all four of these. 
it's, it's interesting that four Lashonos, which are there to tell us about Geulu Mitzrayim, implies within it four more exiles and suffering. Right? Okay, so we know that when it says, uh, when Hashem says, my name is Eiyah, Eiyah, I will be with him now, I'll be with him later. And, uh, and, and we understand that Geulu Mitzrayim is setting the stage, but, but that there's a little depressing note to that whole thing. Meaning, what would have happened if, you know, we didn't mess up? Okay, we messed up. Well, we didn't mess up. The Dal Malchios had to be? Why do they have to be? <clears throat> As we know, these four Lashonos set the stage for the Pesach Seder, which is filled with fours. There's the four sons. There's the four questions. There's the four cups of wine. There's the four matzes. Oh, oh. You, you thought there were three, right? So if you grew up like it in the 1970s when the students struggle for Soviet Jewry suggested that we add the fourth matzah of hope for Soviet Jewry. Because I guess there weren't enough references to freedom in the Seder. You had to add a separate matzah for the, for the struggle for Soviet Jewry, which I thought was a little silly. But no, it is cute though, idea, that there is in fact four matzahs because we only have three, so we break one into two pieces, so you get four. I like that. Anyway, but um, there are a lot of fours there. A lot of fours. And four evidently is the theme. And there are four Lashonos of Geula, and that's why we have four cups of wine. Of course we know there's a Machlekes. And maybe there are five cups of wine. Because as we read, the the Hotseisi, the Hitzauti, the Goauti, the Lokachti, it continues. I will bring you into Eretzel. Does that get counted or not? Meaning, is the going into Eretzel part of the foolish shonos or not? Should that be part of the process or not? Do we drink that fifth cup of wine or not? So, we don't know. And what do we do in every situation we don't know? We always leave it as a teiku. Teiku. Tishbi taretz kushiyos v'sheilos. Right? Ubayos. That Eliyahu will answer all these questions when he comes. And in fact, we take the kosho Eliyahu and put it in the middle of the table. Should Eliyahu come right now and announce the geula and paskin, we should drink it. We're mamish already. That's why it's a big one. Everyone can have a right, pass it all around. Everybody can have a fifth cup of wine. What an amazing concept. This is the only teku that I know that we celebrate. Who celebrates a teku? It's a suffix. I don't know. I don't know. So, so we have it there. So kilu, we're ready. Yo, come and pass that we do. We have it there already. What an interesting way of celebrating this particular teku. In the middle of the table is the koshu Eliyahu, that Eliyahu will come and tell us if we're supposed to drink it, and then we will drink it. Well, idea, the, the idea is kind of strange. Yeah? So, as I went through all the different, um, you know, reasons why there are Dalai Shonos of Geula. Somebody said to me, what's your question? There's usually something particular that's bothering you. 
you never come in to just try to explain something. You have something that's bothering you, that's irritating you. You know what I'm saying? I don't remember having said this, but at my brother's 25th wedding anniversary, he, he asked me to speak. He made a, made a lecture on, on the occasion of Shir, had me speak. And, um, and he said over, I don't remember from who he quoted this from, that um, how do you make a pearl? So there's a little piece of sand gets inside of the clam and it irritates it. So it secretes the stuff that eventually forms a pearl. And, and he said, that's a lot about marriage. You know, it's like, it's like pearls. That the, there's a little sense of, of irritation there that pushes each other, you know, onwards. And that ultimately goes and produces something beautiful. Now, I don't have remember saying this. My nephew said, I got up and spoke. And I said, uh, you know, so it's uh, such a beautiful tribute my brother made to my sister-in-law that basically she irritated him until she got him pearls. I, I, something about this. <laughs> I can't imagine I would say something. That sounds slightly insensitive. So, um, and I try never to say anything that's slightly insensitive. I try to be really seriously insensitive. So, uh, but be that as it may, the same thing is true of wisdom. We call it, talk about pearls of wisdom, minim, right? There's a question that irritates you, it's rubbing you, and that's what makes you come up with, with something, right? In this case, it may not be. It might be quartz zirconium, but uh, let's, let's see what it, so the person, what is it that's bothering you? Just, something's bothering you, you know? I said, I'll tell you what's bothering me about all these Dawud Lashonas of Geula. Let's say there were only three Lashonas of Geula. Would everybody ask, gee, how come there's not four? Or is it because there are four Lashonas of Geula, now we have to figure out what they're doing? That's what's bothering me. It seems like it's almost after the fact. Now that we have full Lashonas of Gula, let's figure out what they're there for. But if I was to sit down and tell you, how many Lashonas of Gula do you think HaKadosh Baruch Hu needs? Ah, probably one. You know, that's it. Time to go. You understand? Pack your bags, we're going. Yeah? I, I think one Lashon of Gula would have been enough, really, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now that we have full Lashonas, we figure out what the full Lashonas are doing. But why are there inherently four Lashonas? So, I want to try to approach that this evening from one perspective, and then I'm going to look at it from one of the more traditional perspectives. But there's one area here that's, that, that's striking me when I see this number, and that is, of course, when you see numbers, we develop a certain sense of sensitivity to them. And we know that, and we've talked about this many times over the years, that when you see a particular number, that number is usually there to indicate something, to, to, uh, to give me a concept. We've talked about this on many different levels. So I'll introduce it, if I can, with a gra on Mishlei, who is explaining the Birkas Kohanim. And he says the Birkas Kohanim is set up in ascending order, right? That's obvious. In fact, uh, when they have to make a base and decide whether or not to make a leap year, they start off with three judges, then they add five judges, then they add seven judges, uh, two more judges, rather. They had two more judges and two more judges in order to go from three, five to seven because the Birkas Kahanim is three, five, and seven. Says the guy, it's not really three, five, and seven. It's two and one, four and one, and six and one. Yivarechcha Hashem, the Yishmarecha, that's two and Hashem. Yo'er Hashem Panav Elef Yukumecha, that's four and Hashem. Yisa Hashem Panav Elefa, the Yasem Lachar Shalom, six and one. Right? That's how he puts it. And he says this corresponds to B'nai Yisrael. 
because you can look at Yaakov relating to the Bnei Rachel, Yosef, and Benyamin, that's two in one. You can look at him relating to the Bnei Shvachis, right? Done in Aftali, God, and Asher, four and one. And you can look at him relating to the Bnei Leah, Ruven, Shimon, Levi, Yehudi, Yisachar, and Zvulin, and Yaakov, six and one. So you have two and one, four and one, six and one. All together, by the way, it equals 15. Right? 15, of course, being the Shem Hashem, the Yud and the He, which equals 15. Right? Cough. So um, that's what the Gros says. So what's he, what's he trying to explain to us? What he's trying to explain to us, I think, is that there are several levels of the same concept. There's a concept that works on several levels. One is called two and one, one is called four and one, and one is called six and one. I'm bringing you back now to high school math. I'm sorry. But sometimes this has to happen. I was, my daughter, who uh, was doing her student teaching, had to teach the Peloponnesian Wars to a group of sixth graders. What a exciting and dramatic event in everybody's lives, I'm sure, that if you can even remember the word Peloponnesian, you try to use it in every sentence you can. As in, could you pass the Peloponnesian salad? You know what I mean? Any chance you get to use that word, go for it. That's my advice. You know what I mean? So, Peloponnesian. But um, when you uh, bring the Peloponnesian and bring out the best. Anyway, you're trying to find something to do with this, you know, this concept. It's very obscure. So I'm going to math now. It's even worse than history. I'm going into math. Let's see if you remember this. We have the concept of one dimension, two dimension, and three dimensions. These are fictitious, of course. Right? Um, all of math is fictitious. Yeah? Often the answers people give on tests are for sure fictitious. <laughs> or they are merely, you know, being copied from somebody else. But whatever the case may be. You know in mathematics, a point is defined as something with no dimensions. Right? Has no length, no width, no height. Okay, Shkaya. So what is it? It's a it's a concept. Conceptually, it's here. You can't give it any dimensions because then it will be three-dimensional. Right? Once it's an actual point, that point takes up space, you know, in length, width, and height. So in order to define it from a mathematical point of view, it has no dimensions. A line is defined as having length and no width. Although again, that's an impossibility, right? A Two-dimensional state is something with length and width. A square has length and width. That's the way we look at it, right? A point has no dimensions. A line is one dimension. A square is two-dimensional. A picture is two-dimensional. Add height or depth, depending on your perspective in life. Yeah? I said, I said something has to have height. My sense of it, you mean depth. I said, okay, anyway, you look at it. You know what depends, depends if you're an optimist or a pessimist. But uh, you add another dimension, and now you're dealing with a three-dimensional construct, a cube, right? If you look at it from those points of views, let's start with the three-dimensional construct, which is a cube. So a cube is four sides and a top and a bottom. That's what six would be. If you think of a picture, something with length and width, it has four sides. A square has four sides. You think of a line, a line just goes, right? 
Now, how do you get a line? A line is defined as a series of points. It's going to be a quiz next week, so I hope you take notes. <laughs> a line is defined as a series of points. Meaning, if you have one point, that's obviously not a line. You need a series of points, and then you have what's called length, although you have no width, theoretically. Right? When we talk about two and one, we're talking about one dimension. When we talk about four and one, we're talking about two dimensions. And when we talk about six and one, we're talking about three dimensions. Right? That's, that's one way of understanding these numbers. So what's two and one? Two and one are two points joining together. We've talked about this a number of times, but just so we understand what that means. Right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu um, creates the world. He separates it in Shemayim Ve'aretz in order for it to join back together. The three is where it joins back together. Right? He creates a human being, separates them into Isha and Isha, in order for them to join back together. The three is really the two parts joining back together. Right? Um, the, the Torah has to be given in the third month. Why in the third month? Because you have a separation. Right? You have a Kosh uh, Baruch who takes out of Mitzrayim. We then have to work on ourselves. That's the second month. And then the third month, we join back together. The Chodesh Hashlishi. The mazel for the third month are the Teumim, the twins. But they're not actual twins. They are Siamese twins. The two that become one. We talked about this in Parshas Bo years ago. The two become one. They join back together. Bo. Bo, come, is Bez, which is two. Aleph, come to the one. The two come to the one is Bo. Right? We, it brings it together. There's two, it becomes one. So when you talk about two and one, what you're talking about is two separate entities that join back together. We talked about this also this year, just before Yom Kippur. Right? The two that become one. Separate and join back together. That's three. Two and one. But the one is what's joining those two together. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Avram is Chesed, Yitzchak is Gvur. Avram is Chesed, Yitzchak is Gvur. And Yaakov is what brings those two together, the balance between those two. Right? That's what two and one are going to be. Four and one is going to be the same thing on two dimensions. And six and one is going to be the same thing on three dimensions. I'm going to skip four and one for a minute. Let's jump to six to one. Right? A day makes sense. A day makes sense in nature. 24 hours from sunrise to sunrise is a day. That's how long it takes for the earth to revolve, you know, and that makes sense. Yeah? Rotate. Yeah? Go around in a circle. Yeah? That's 24 hours. That makes sense. A month makes sense. That's how long it takes for the moon to go around the earth. That makes sense. A year makes sense. That's how long it takes for the earth to go around the sun. A week makes absolutely no sense. There's no reason to have a seven-day um, period of time. It doesn't make any sense. And in fact, Napoleon, when he imposed the metric system on Europe that he conquered, he also attempted to impose a 10-day week. Yeah? Everything would work in base 10. That would make more sense, he felt. Right? He tried to put in a 10-month year as well. But uh, there was even a stronger move at various times in history to 
knock off one day from the calendar. Obviously, you can't do that because it's going to be 365, but one day would be called whatever it is, Earth Day or something, and it wouldn't count on the calendar. This way, you'd have 364, um, 364 days, and that's easily dividable by 7. Thus, every January 1st could be a Sunday. And you'd always keep the same date as the same day of the week. What do you need seven days for? That's an artificial construct. We say it's obvious. It goes back to Brisa Olam. If you don't recognize Brisa Olam, then you wouldn't necessarily understand the seven-day week. Right? Chazal tells us that the Persians didn't have a seven-day week. Hence, Esther got herself seven you know, servants and gave each one of them, you know, a name, you know, that she could keep track. You know, Tuesday. <laughs> come in. That's where the name Tuesday Wells comes from. She's an actress. <laughs> you know that? So, um, but, uh, you know, the, uh, what was his name? Howard March or something? There was an actor whose last name was March. <laughs> Never, you get old, you forget all of your nonsense. Anyway, halavai. Usually you forget all the important stuff. But anyway, but, um, but that's the idea. It gave them things so you remember what, what each thing was. But why do we have a seven-day week? We don't have a seven-day week. It's a mistake. We do not have Yom Rishon, Yom Sheni, Yom Shlishi, Yom Rivi'i, Yom Hamishi, Yom Shishi, Yom Shvi'i. We have till Yom Shishi and then Shabbat. Or Shabbos. Depending where you come from in Brooklyn. Right? Shabbos. What does that mean? That means there are six days and then this Shabbos. And Shabbos brings those other six days together. If you can recall during that particular phase of human history when there was a popular toy by the name of the Rubik's Cube, wherein there is a cube that has different colors on each side, and then you quickly mix them all up together, can you then put them back in its correct order? Yes, easily, of course, by removing the labels and putting them back where they belong. All it takes is just a tad of creativity. You understand? But some people actually want to sit there and twist the whole thing around. Let's say you're one of those people, right? So then you know that what allows the six sides of the Rubik's Cube to move around is that little ball in the middle. You won't find it unless in frustration you rip the thing apart. But if you do, there's a little ball in the middle that allows everything to revolve and to rotate and whatever, move around, right? That, that's why it's there. Without that, the six sides would just fall apart. What allows the six sides to function as one unit is the seventh, but it's not another side. It's what goes in the middle to hold the whole thing together. And so the six days of the week have normal functioning. We work, do whatever we do. The seventh day is Shabbos, wherein we enjoy what we did during those six days. Shemitah likewise. You worked the land for six years. The seventh year of Shemitah is not another year. It's a year where we stop. It's supposed to give meaning to those other six years. Right? Pulls them all together. So, whenever we talk about seven, we never talk about seven. It's six and one, and that one brings it all together. The ubiquitous mugging David. Right? Which is six points, and that little round thing in the middle, or, or hexagonal thing in the middle, that, that, that is that space that is created by it. That's the middle. If you uh, want to move for a moment into um, into the spheres, we'll get 
is a Kabbalistic moment, you know? But you know, there's Chesed, Bur, Teferis, Netzach, Hod, Yisod, those six, and the seventh is Malchus. But Malchus is not a separate one. It is what receives the energy from those other six uh, spheres. That's the idea. It's a, you, this is whenever you see six in one, that's how it works. Whenever you see two in one, that's what it is. Four and one is the same thing, only on a different level. What's four? Right? We have this expression of the Arba Kanfos the four corners of the earth. Now the truth is that the earth does not have four corners. Right? Um, if you are a member of the Flat Earth Society, I apologize to be the one to have to break the bad news to you. Right? right? Christopher Columbus realized this when he set off in order to find the, a shortcut to, uh, to the uh, East Indies and instead fell off the edge of the earth. No, wait. Instead, he landed in America. Right? El Salvador, actually. Uh, Haiti. Through poor planning. Anyway, but uh, right, we know the world is round. He figured that out, right? The Chazal knew it already. It's a Gemara Yushalmi. But uh, he says, because when he saw the boats going in the distance, as they got further away, he could only see the, the tops of their masts. He couldn't see the bottom of the ship anymore. That would make sense if there was a curvature of the earth. So what does it mean when we talk about the four corners of the earth? What it means is when you look up in the sky and you look at any heavenly body, it looks round be it the moon, be it the sun, be it a planet. Yeah? It looks round. You see it as round. When you look anywhere on Earth, it looks flat. That is our perception. It's not reality. It's our perception. We see the world as being four corners, and we see outer space as being round. When something's round, you're not going anywhere. You're going to keep going around in a circle. That's the reality. You're going to keep going around in circles. When something's flat, it means you can go someplace. You can travel from point A to point B. We're in this world, and we see this world as four. Four means it spreads out. The whole world spreads out, and you can see it in the four directions. If you don't see it beyond that, if you don't then have that connection to Shemayim Ba'arat, you're stuck only in the four. I heard Moshe Shapiro say once in a shir from the Kadmonim, he did not quote who it was who says it, um, that that's the reason that there is a popular religion that has as its symbol not the six-pointed star like we do, but rather something that has only four points to it. Right? Because they just see this world. They don't see connection up to a higher level. In fact, just to make it easier for themselves, they went up and pulled God down to here. Said, you, we'll, we'll put you into a human form and you can stay here with us. So that worked out well. That's why they have this little symbol that looks like a dalid, because it's four. Dalid is four. It's exactly what it is, length and width. That's the dalid. This world is compared to a hay. Hey is one of only two construct letters in the Aleph phase. Hey is a Dalid with a little Yud. The point being to take those four parts of this world, the four directions, the Arvakanvas Arts, and bring it back to the central point. That's the Hey. 
That's why it's five. Five is made up of a dalid, which is four, and a point to which they connect back together. That's in this world. That's why this world was created with a hey. Olam Habu was created with a yud. Right? The Shamayim is yud, and the lower land is hey. We've, we've mentioned this beforehand, but this is always worthwhile to review. And that is that it is brought down uh, that if you do not say this varit, from the time a couple gets engaged until the end of Sheva Brachos, there are those who suggest that they are not actually married. <laughs> Ish has a Yud and Isha has a He. Together they spell Hashem's name. When Isha and Isha join together, Hashem joins with them. It has to be said at the Lachayim, at the Vart, at the, at the wedding, at the, at the Sheva Brachos. Sometime it has to be said by somebody. So we're familiar with this idea. The Yud is Shemayim, and the He is the Aretz, and they come back together and form Hashem's name. But down here, it's the four. And the job down here is to take the four and bring it back together. Then you can add in the next level. So the first is to bring a Yachas. The first is to create a relationship. The two that become the one. That's length. That's two and one. Then comes the four and one. Then comes this world where we bring it together to a central purpose. And then we can throw in the other dimension where we bring Shemaim V'aretz together also. That's the six in one. And that's the idea of the Beis HaMikdash. Beis HaMikdash is the six in one where the process finally comes all together. Interesting, by the way, that two and one and four and one and six and one equals 15. That yud and that hey that we have just been talking about. And if you take a look in our Haggadah, you will find, interestingly enough, there are 15 steps. Sounds like one, it's really two. Seems like two, it's only one. Right? So fifteen. Just like there are fifteen steps going up to the base of Mikdash. Just like there are fifteen Dayenus. And what's the fifteenth That's the fifteenth step. Yeah? And the last step is the base of Mikdash, the 15, where the Yud and the He of Shemayim and Ba'aretz join together. We're to speak the six, and you have that one that brings it all together, comes together. That's the base of Mikdash. But before you can do the six and one, you have to do the four and one. You have to take everything in this world that's all spread out and bring it back together to its central purpose. So, so that we understand that. Yeah? There were Dal of Geula. And the Dal of Geula were to take all of the four sides and ultimately take those and bring it into Eretzrel. Eretzrel, which is Yerushalayim, is the center of the world. And Yerushalayim is the center of Eretzrel. Forget about the geographics here for a moment. Yeah? Right? Eretzrel is 400 amos by 400, excuse me, 400 parcels by 400 parcels. It's described as 400 by 400. Yerushalayim is in the middle. It brings all of that together. Had we left Mitzrayim with a tikkun of the four and the one, 
Had we taken all of these things that we did and then those people continued into Israel, that would have been the Tegan of the four and the one and then we could have built the real base of Migdash. That would have stood for Doros and that would have been the six and the one and we would have had the complete connection of the Yud, of Shemayim and the He, of Aretz and that would have been it. But we didn't. We had four Lashonas of Geula. The fifth one never happened. So what do we got to do? That means that whatever we did in Mitzrayim was incomplete. We did not finish the process. And if we didn't finish the process, then we're going to have to go through the four Golias. Had we gone through the complete process that we were supposed to, it wouldn't have been necessary to do that. I'll talk about that in a moment, but let's let's tie in one other idea that we mentioned. Namely, these are the Arbacosos. So what are the Arbacosos? The first one is Kadesh. That's the first one. Kadesh is yeah, a Kodesh Baruch who chose us. You took us out. You made us the people. Yeah? You made us call Yisrael. You are the one who created the world. You're the one who runs everything. That's Kiddush. That's the starting point. Everything is Hashem. Now, do you understand that? Right? Magid. Let's talk about everything that Hashem does. Not just in the fact that He created the world, but that He runs the world and how He's there for all of us. And then we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu because we appreciate all that He has done for us. And then we move up to that higher level of Hallel, where we see HaKadosh Baruch Hu in everything. Everything, not just when we get something, but we praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu throughout. Right? Those are the four steps. Now if we understood how to bring those four together into its completion, and that we would go into Israel with all of that and put it into effect, that's where we'd be. Why do we use wine for this? Nichnas yayin You bring in wine and out comes the secrets. Meaning, the secrets is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who's in charge of everything. He is the center of everything. All the hispashtus in this world, all of the fours, all of the things that spread out north, south, east, and west, they have to be brought together onto a central point and purpose. The Dalid of this world, those four directions where certain places just stop at those four, have to be brought together. Yayin is Gematria 70. This the Gemara says in Arabic. Yayin is Gematria 70. Sod, secret is Gematria 70. That's what we know, Nichnas Yayin Yotzasod. So you drink the wine and the secrets come out and both of those equal 70 because Shivan Panam Torah can be expressed in 70 different ways. These are the 70 languages, the 70 Umas Olam. We talked about this. Yeah? That's the 70. Interestingly enough, interestingly enough, since this is Shabbos Mavarch and Shvat, interesting that it's on Rosh Chodesh Shvat that Moshe Rabbeinu begins to say Sefer Dvarim and Ber Hetev, he explains it, the Shivim Loshen, 
He explains the Torah in 70 languages. Because each language is there to give us a different understanding of the Torah. He wanted to explain everything. It's now. Nichnas Yayin, Sod, all the Shivan Panam of Torah are going to come out. All those explanations are there. That's this month that's to come. That these parshios extend into, not by accident. So, so all of that is what would have been. If we would have had that fifth Lushan of Geula, we would have gone into Israel with all of these four different insights and understandings, and then we would have become the arm we're supposed to be, and then we would have built the base of Migdash, which would have brought Shemayim Ba'aretz together. That would have been the 15, that would have been the 6 and 1, that would have been everything, and we would have understood the whole world. It didn't. Explains the Urgidal Yahu. At the end of last week's parsha, Moshe complains to Kodesh Baruch and he says to him, "Lama Lama Why would you do evil to this nation, and why would you send me?" Moshe Rabbeinu said, "You made it worse. They can't handle it. Let's let's stop this now." And Hashem says, okay, okay, let's stop it now. They were supposed to be in Mitzrayim for 400 years. Everybody explains why it's not. Right? Pokot, you know, Gematria 190. Kate's, the Gematria 190. You know, we start counting from the birth of Yitzchak. Um, uh, the Chsam Seifer, Makes a cheshbon that the real bitterness began when Miriam was born. That's why she's named Miriam from a lotion of bitterness. And she was 86 at the Geula, which means it was 86 years. Right? So um, the Gemara tells the story of when, uh, I believe it's in Yuma that when Alexander the Great came to Israel, so representatives of Egypt sent people to demand all of the rechush that we took out of Mitzrayim, all the money that we took, the gold, the silver, the jewels, everything that we took, they want it back. It says in the Torah, we took it. So he says, okay. So someone comes to defend it. He says, okay, we'll take it. You just calculate how much 600,000 people working as slaves for 430 years would make, and you pay us the difference. So he snuck out of town that night. You understand? He realized it was going to go against him. Yeah? Says Chsam Seifer, but it wasn't for 430 years. We know that. Best case scenario was 210. Right? And it wasn't 600,000 people. It was a lot more than that because 80% died in Mitzrayim. So he says... 80% 80% means there were five times 600,000. And five times 86 is 430. So pay us what 600,000 people would have done in 430 years because that's what five times 600,000 people, which is what we actually had, did in, in, in 86 years. Okay? 
Some people say because there were so many people doing the work. We did 400 years work in 210 years. Some people said because the, the Enoi was so terrible that we compacted 400 years into 210 years. But this much everyone agrees on. It wasn't 400 years. Says the Yogi Yahu, if it had actually been a complete 400 years, we would never, no matter what, need any more goyas. Because all Dalid Malchios would have been condensed into those 400 years. When we came out of Mitzrayim, the work wasn't completely done in ourselves. If we didn't mess up, that would be fine. But if we did, then we would have to go for the extended version of the Dalit Malchios. That's why the foolish shonas of Geula imply within it the Dalit Malchios, says the Ogedal Yahu. Because since Moshe said they can't take any more of this, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, okay, here's the Dalit Lashonas of Geula. I'm cutting the program now. But understand that within those Dalit Lashonas, if we don't do those four and connect it to the five, then those four are going to just spread us across into the ultimate expression of four, which is the Dalit Malchios. And that's why, what was the last thing that pushed the Jewish people over the edge? And as a consequence, is what turned, um, is what turned uh, Moshe, they turned the people against Moshe. He says, is from a lotion of asefa, of gathering together. And so what was the result of that? Vayofetz ha'am l'kol eretz mitzrayim l'koshesh kates, l'kash l'tevet. They spread out all over Mitzrayim. This was the final punishment. The final suffering, I don't know punishment, the final suffering in Mitzrayim was a pizur, was a spreading out. When that came, that was too much for the people. And that's why they cried out. And that's why Moshe said they can't handle this. And that's why the process was cut short. And that's why it laid the foundation this final suffering, it was the fourth Malchios, as we all know. In Malchus Bavel, when we were in Golis and Bavel, we weren't spread out. We all lived in one area. But Rome spread us across the face of the earth, scattered us to the four corners of the earth. Yeah? The Gather us together. From the four corners of the earth, we've been spread out. That's Malchus Edom. That's the fourth Lashon. By the way, what was meant to counter that? I will bring you together to me. At Harsinai, When we cancel out that Pizor, then we come together and then we have the ability to be able to go into Israel the way we're supposed to go. That was what happened. 
Every day we say Yitzhiyah's Petrayim. We say it in the morning and we say it at night. There are many mitzvahs that are there to remind us of Yitzhiyah's Petrayim. The Yitzhiyah said, it was because of Yitzhiyah's Petrayim. Yitzhiyah's Petrayim. Shabbos is there to remember Yitzhiyah's Petrayim. Zeichel Yitzhiyah's Petrayim. Right? Yitzhiyah's Petrayim is all over. It's filling as Yitzhiyah's Petrayim. All over you look, there's Yitzhiyah's Petrayim. Not just for Klai Yisrael, but for every single one of us. Every single one of us goes through Mitzrayim. Every single one of us has to go out of Mitzrayim. Every single one of us has to go through this process. We didn't finish the process, B'nai Yisrael. It was cut off. The Dal Shonos of Geula kicked in, and we didn't finish the work. We didn't finish the job. Had we stayed focused had we come together as an arm and then marched together into itself then we would have taken those four that we had and connected it to the five and then the process would have been done but as it remains we're in this fourth gullus because of sinas chinam because of period because we're spread out separate and because of that we've been spread across the world to the point that, you know, you can go and find from Jews everywhere. I'm not even talking about Jews. From Jews everywhere. Wherever you go, you can find them coming off of planes, getting onto planes, sitting there in airports. It's amazing as I travel how many times you suddenly see some from person popping in out of some place. Always surprised, you know. There they are. They're everywhere. We've been spread all across the world. Everywhere you look, there are people all over the place. And we have to come back as an individual. There's, there's four parts of ourselves. You know, we wear tzitzis. Arabic convoys. You know, there's, there's things that we have to unite, bring back together. Arabic parashios of tefillin. The fours have to all be reunited to that central point. That's true inside of ourselves. And then you can extend beyond yeah, the um, he what was his name? Stephen Covey in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about first achieving individual independence, and then you can talk about interacting with other people interdependence. But first, you can't interact with anyone else unless you make yourself whole. Yeah. So first, you have to find that point inside of yourself where you bring yourself together, the four that connects to the five inside of you. And then Klai Yisrael has to all assemble together. And then we go into Yitzrael, where all of that Klai Yisrael there joins together. When that happens, then we drink the fifth cup. Then Eliyahu comes and says, now, that fifth cup in the middle of the table, there's four sides of the table with people sitting there with their cups, but there's one cup in the middle that brings the four together to the five. When you bring that together, that's when there's a purpose. Now we can go and build the base HaMikdash. Because Eliyahu comes, and then after that, Mashiach comes. That's four. That's Mashiach. And when that happens, then you build the base HaMikdash and you move on to the next level. But first, the four has to join together. That dalit has to connect to that other piece of the hay down here. 
We have to join together as individuals in ourselves and understand what we're doing and be focused. Know what we're doing and understand where we're going. And then we have to be able to do it for, for Klai Yisrael. And then we have to be able to bring it all together. I, I, what, unbelievable idea that the Yo mentions here, maybe just by, um, by introduction, there is a... Um, the Sefi Yitzira says that there's a letter that corresponds to every month. A letter that corresponds to every month. So, the Arizal brings down the picture of Eliezer that talks about Menatzpach. Menatzpach are the five letters that have a final letter. There's a final Mem, a final Nun, right? A Tzadi Sophie, uh, a Pei Sophie, and a Chav Sophie. Yeah? The five final letters, and they represent the Geula, which makes sense, because they're the final one. They express the end. And he brings down the following. The Haosios Mem, Nun, and Chav, Nigalu Haavos HaKadoshim. Those three letters, the final Mem, final Nun, final Chav, were used for the others. Ubaos Pei, Nigalu Yisrael Mimitzrayim. Pei was the letter that took it out of Mitzrayim, as it says, Pakod Pakadati. That's the pay. And that leaves only the tzadi left. And he brings a pasuk in Yeshayahu that says, Meknaf ha'aretz zmiros shamanu. From the corner of the earth we heard songs. Tzvi l'tzadik. Now we're looking forward. Tzvi, he says, in a lotion of, of ratzon, of wanting. We're looking for the tzadik. So says the Arizal, what does that mean? That means Miknaf, Mem, Chaf, Nun, Pei. Those are the four we already had. Zmiro Shamanu. We heard those songs already. But now, Tzvi L'Tzadik. We're waiting for the Tzadik. And the Tzadik is the letter that's going to be the letter of the Geula. The final Geula. From there, everything will join back together. Says the Sefer Yitzira, Shvat is Ost Sadi. And in this month is that potential. When Moshe began to, to be'er es ha in in preparation, that we should all understand all the 70 different facets of the Sod, Nichnas Yayin Yotzer Sod, of the Dalad L'shoinus, of Geula, when we understood what all of those things are doing and how we're supposed to apply it, this month, Davka, has that potential for that Geula to be able to understand how to take the four of this world, that Dalid, and tie it back to the point, what it's doing here, to give it that ultimate purpose. When we're misyached ourselves and we're misyached Klal Yisrael, then in Eretz Yisrael we will all come together the Mir Hashem to tie everything together the way it should be. Mitzvah next year will be in four weeks. I mean, your last will be away. Mitzvah Hashem, Pashim, Mishpatim will be next year. Mitzvah.